Listening to sermons as we go about our days, driving around or doing our work, is a perfect reminder of our Lord's promises and of His mercies. This is the mission of Upper Room Media. To make the Word of God accessible to anybody and everybody. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Uh, this past week was Jonah's fast, and this coming week is the last week uh, before we begin uh, the Great Lent. So Great Lent will begin not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow to following Monday. Uh, we read today in the psalm preceding the Gospel, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength are be- and beauty are in His sanctuary. And this psalm emphasizes to us our role and the importance of our role in honoring the Lord. So we'll contemplate together how we can honor the Lord through four means. By obeying His commandments, by respecting His house, by revering His sacrifice, and finally by serving His children. In the Gospel according to St. Matthew chapter 21, we read this uh, parable that the Lord gives. But what do you think? A man had two sons And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, the tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. And the passage continues and says, For John came to you, in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So we see here, through this example, that honoring the Lord and obeying his commandments is not about lip service. It's not about what we say, but it's about walking the walk, not just talking the talk. It's about where the rubber meets the road. They actually act and behave and do what's pleasing to my Father? Or do I talk about the commandments of the Lord and I talk a good talk, but when it comes time to actually patterning my life, I can't be bothered to pattern my life according to the way that the Lord instructs me. So what do I use as the standard for what I aspire to? Do I look at God's commandments and say, I aspire to live my life according to this pattern Or do I look at at everyone else in the world and say, I want to be like everybody else. I want to do what everybody else does. I want to live how everybody else lives. I want to behave how everybody else behaves. I want to go to the places that everyone else goes. I want to value the things that everyone else values. Do I spend my time looking at the latest influencers on on TikTok and Instagram and, and all these pictures of the latest fashions and the latest places that they're going and the latest things that they're eating and the latest things that they're driving and the latest things that they're buying and what's the latest makeup trend and what's the latest game that's out there and what's the latest, all of these viral trends that go on. This is how I pattern my life? Or do I look at the commandment of God and say, this is what I ought to be doing. This is what I ought to be seeking. This is what I ought to be desiring to do. It's not just about knowing the commandment of God. Actually, both of the sons knew the commandment of God. And initially, one of them said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when he evaluated himself, he said, no, I should honor my father 
by doing what's pleasing to my Father. But the passage also gives us some hope that, okay, maybe we've rejected like the first son. We said, you know, I'm not going to do this. But when we come to ourselves, we still have an opportunity to say, you know, no, what my Father commands is right. And even if I'm not convinced, but because I honor my Father and because I love my Father, I'm going to obey His commandments. And beyond that, Christ continues and tells the Pharisees that He was reprimanding. Even when you saw the tax collectors and harlots accepting the preaching of repentance of John, you still did not come to yourselves in turn. So we have many opportunities to come to ourselves and say, you know what, I'm not going to be affiliated with this world, but I'm going to do and obey the commandments of my Father. We can honor the Lord also by respecting His house. We read in John chapter 2, which we read on Jonah's feast, and he, found them in the temp- and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. So what we see here is Christ telling the people who were buying and selling and and converting money in the temple, don't make the place of spiritual investment a place of worldly investment. The house of God is somewhere different. It has its honor. It's holy. And as we've said before, the word holy means that it's set aside for a purpose. It's set aside for the purpose of worshiping God. It's not common like every other place. The house of God is a place where we come to make spiritual investments. But the money changers and those that were buying and selling took the place where they ought to have been making spiritual investments and they turned it into a marketplace, a place where they were making worldly investments. So also we do sometimes. You're going to tell me, I wonder, but we don't come and we don't buy and sell and we're not trading and we're not, we're not converting money or doing anything. But let's evaluate ourselves when we're in the house of God. And where is our mind working? Where are we investing our energy and our time and our concentration when we're in the house of the Lord? Are we spending our time and our energy and our concentration planning the rest of our day, planning the rest of our week, thinking about the stock market, thinking about the next task that I ought to do at work, thinking about what I need to do to get ahead in my job? Maybe there's a promotion opportunity and I'm sitting in church thinking about what's the next strategic move that I need to make in order to make myself a viable candidate for this promotion? Am I thinking about my exams and my classes and what do I need to do to be at the top of my class and what do I need to do to uh, impress my, my professors? Am I thinking about my next investment opportunity? Is Bitcoin going up? Is it Bitcoin going down? Is the market going up? Is the market going down? Is it the right time to sell stock and buy gold because it's more stable? Is this what I'm occupying my mind with? Am I investing my time and my energy and my effort in, in worldly investments? Or is my heart and my mind and my attention focused on the sacrament that's being offered? Am I looking at the fact that Christ descended from the glory of heaven and entered into our world and offered Himself on the cross and He's offering me His body and His blood on the altar and saying, come, Eat this. Forget about the cares 
of the world and spend some time with me here in my house, which is the symbol of my presence among you, the place where heaven and earth meet. And for a moment, take out of your mind the worldly things, the earthly things, and think about what it's going to be like in heaven. Think about what it means that the angels stand continuously before me, praising and worshiping. Thinking, think about the images of heaven that you see in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, in Ezekiel, in Isaiah, in Revelation, where people saw heaven open in front of their eyes. And imagine that this is where you're going. And spend just a few moments out of your week ignoring what's outside of these walls and focusing on heaven and investing your time and your energy there. This is how we can honor the Lord, by respecting His house and respecting the sacraments that are performed and offered in His house. We can honor the Lord also by revering His sacrifice. When you fly into San Antonio, you hear these like recorded announcements in the airport right, from the mayor. And, and one of the things he says is, Welcome to Military City, USA. Right? We have a big military presence here. And so, like veterans are, are very visible in our community. And actually, in American society, we honor the servicemen and veterans. We have Veterans Day. We have Memorial Day. In the U.S. and elsewhere, right, there's the, the monument to the unknown soldier. Right? This is common not only in the U.S., but in many other countries. We honor those people. Why? Because, as we say, they made the ultimate sacrifice, right? They, they gave up their lives in order to protect and defend our freedoms. Well, what about Christ? And Christ made the ultimate sacrifice. Like He descended from heaven, He came to the earth, and He died not to defend our freedom from a worldly enemy who can only have power over us for a time, temporally, but from an eternal enemy, a spiritual enemy, who was oppressing us and would continue to oppress us for eternity and would take our freedom from us for eternity. And so, should we not also honor the sacrifice that He made for us and consider this as something deserving of our reverence? We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, St. Paul tells them, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The message of the cross without the understanding of what was achieved through the cross is very confusing. It doesn't make any sense. Why do you worship this man who was punished as a criminal and, and slaughtered in the most humiliating way? But when we realize that this was the sacrifice that he made to free us from the oppressor, all of a sudden it makes sense. And we recognize that no, we ought to honor the Lord by showing reverence to the sacrifice that he made. This ties in then to the next point. Oftentimes, when somebody makes such a big sacrifice or somebody is fighting for a cause 
and they, they die either fighting for that cause or they die prematurely, we find out that like foundations are established and, 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 and trusts are built. And in universities, they make like these memorial scholarships to remember the effort and commemorate the memory of the person who was fighting for this cause. And so in order to honor their legacy, we establish these foundations and these institutions and we make scholarships and we, we do fundraising to honor the memory of the one who departed by continuing to pursue and fight for the cause that they fought for and that they loved. So what is the cause that was dear to Christ that he died for? It's our salvation and the salvation of everyone. And so if we want to honor the Lord, as we honor those that depart from this world, we ought to continue to try and strive to achieve the legacy that he came to establish, which is we ought to be fighting for the salvation, not only of our own salvation, but the salvation of all of God's children. In Matthew chapter 25, we read, And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. Serving God's children is serving Him directly. Bringing His message to the downtrodden, those that are, that are missing Him, is something that we do to honor Him and to honor His memory and to honor His legacy. We also see in 2 Timothy, I thank God when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also is, is in you also. So we see from this passage that the right and upright faith is transmitted generally, generationally. So in addition to serving God's people, we honor God by transmitting the faith faithfully from the generation before us from whom we received the faith to the generation after us to whom we're accountable to transmit the faith. The faith that we received is a trust. God gave it to us and we received it from the church. And we owe a debt of gratitude to God and to His church that He gave us this faith and that those before us labored and emptied themselves so that we could receive the faith in its fullness. Those fathers, the patriarchs, the, the, the bishops, the clergy that came before us, the Sunday school servants, the parents, the, the older generation that sacrificed so much entirely worked to implant us in the church so that we could receive the faith and know God and have a relationship with Him, do we not owe them and do we not owe God to, transmate, to, to, to transmit as faithfully this faith to the next generation to build the posterity so that they can have life as we received life from the generation before us? This is the way that we honor the Lord, that we take the faith that we received from our fathers and transmit it faithfully to our children and not just our children in the flesh, because those that served us were not only our, our bodily parents, our fleshly parents, but we were served by so many that were related to us and that were not related to us. And so we owe also and we ought also to serve as many as we can to transmit faithfully the faith that we received. So to recap, we ought to honor the Lord. And we can do this by obeying His commandments not just by word, but in action. And even it's more important to obey the commandment by action than by word. We should respect His house as the place where heaven and earth meet and the place 
where we have an opportunity to exclude everything else and focus on him. We revere the sacrifice that he made on our behalf, that he died for our freedom. And so we honor that he died for our freedom and we respect the sacrifice that he made. And we demonstrate this by serving his children and transmitting the faith that we received from the generation before us, before us as a faithful trust that transmit to the generation after us. May God grant us all the strength to honor him in all that we do, and glory be to our God forever. Amen. May, uh... This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart, and we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Many happy returns to you all. Today is the third Sunday of the Great Lent, and as we're accustomed, we read the parable of the prodigal son, who we can look at the story uh, and look at both the younger son and, and the older son and see in both of them a model of what the Christian life looks like, and perhaps uh, we are all familiar with the statement of the younger son when, uh, when we read in, in Luke chapter 15, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's servants have food enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I know what I will do. I will arise and go to my father and say to him, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, so make me as one of your hired servants. And we'll contemplate together on the lessons about the spiritual life that we can learn from this in three aspects, looking at self-reliance, self-righteousness, and self-reflection. So many times when we face any kind of a struggle, whether it be a spiritual struggle or if it be a struggle in this world, so often we say, I'm going to take care of this myself. I know what I need to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to manage things. This is not unlike the younger son who said to his father, give me my share of the inheritance. That is, I'm tired of being managed and administered in your household. Give me what's my share and let me go and manage it myself. I can take care of this without you. I can take care of this better than I think you can manage. I want my freedom. I want to be able to do what I want to do. So give me my inheritance and let me do as I please. Oftentimes we say this to God. Give me my inheritance. Just leave me be to do what I want to do. Leave me to manage the matters of my life as I see fit. I've got this under control. I can take care of it. I have the plan and I'm going to move forward and I'm going to do this. And only after we try and we try, and we try, and we try, then we realize maybe we don't get to the point of sitting with the swine, but sometimes we have to get to that point where we hit rock bottom in trying ourselves before we turn to God and say, you know, maybe I don't have this under control as well as I thought. Maybe I need to put things in your hands and leave things to your will and let you manage my affairs. St. Augustine says, 
there are two causes leading to sin. Either we don't know our duty, or we don't perform the duty we know. So either we're ignorant, so we don't know the difference between right and wrong, or we know and we just prefer the wrong. The former is the sin of ignorance, the latter of weakness. Now, it is our duty to struggle against these things, but certainly we will be beaten in the fight unless God helps us to see our duty and to make our love of righteousness stronger than our love for earthly things. And this is the difference between abiding in God's house and taking our share of the inheritance and going off on our own. When we abide in the Father's house, the Father helps us to distinguish between right and wrong and motivates us to prefer and perform the right over the wrong. But when we take our inheritance and we go out, one, our vision is blurred, so we're not able to distinguish between right and wrong, and two, we often are inclined to preferring the wrong. So then we'll fast forward, we'll jump over the middle part of the story a bit, and we'll jump to the end of the story. And we look at the older brother. Maybe many of us are familiar with the statement of the older, the older brother. Lo, these many years I have been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Many of us who have children, I mean, maybe birth order is not necessarily a definitive thing, but maybe we can kind of relate to these two children. The, the older one oftentimes is the one that says, I'm in my father's house, I'm in my parents' house, I have done everything that you want and everything that you command. And maybe sometimes the younger one has more of a, a, a rebellious spirit or an independent spirit and says, you know, give me my share of the inheritance and let me go and, and, and manage things on my own. So perhaps some of us that have uh, a couple of kids can, can relate to the position of these two sons. It's not always like this, but sometimes we see this pattern. But let's look at the thinking of the older son for a moment. He said, what? I've been serving you all these years. I never transgressed your commandments. So I always, I was in your house. I was doing what you wanted. I was, quote unquote, the good son who followed the rules and did everything to make you happy and comfortable. And because of that, I deserve my reward. I earned what I deserve. You owe me. You're indebted to me. Why? Because I was here and I did everything that you asked. I obeyed your commandments and I served you. But this is not the language of a son. This is the language of an employee. This is the language of a servant. You owe me. I did everything so I, I deserve my, my recompense. Right? I deserve what I'm owed. How often do we take this mindset? God, I pray. You, you want me to pray? I pray. I go to church on Sunday. I fast. I, I give my tithes. I, I do the things that you tell me to do. I'm not causing any trouble with anybody. I'm, I'm, I'm 
I'm quote-unquote, I'm a good person. I'm doing what's right. So because I'm a good person, reward me with the promotion that I'm seeking. Reward me with, with the new job. Reward me with the fancy house. Reward me with whatever it is, the good, the good grades, the, whatever it is we're seeking. And we put our supplication in front of God and we think that it's because of our goodness that, that he, He's indebted to us and He owes us. And this is not how children speak to their parents. right? We as parents, those of us who are parents, if, if our children were to come and take an account with us and say, you know, by the way, I've been a really good kid, right? You tell me to study, I've been studying, I'm getting good grades. You'll notice that my room is clear, the dishes are cleared, I've been doing the things. And by the way, I noticed when the cleaning lady comes by, you write her a check when she's done with her chores. So I think I deserve at least what you're giving to the cleaning lady because if you notice, I'm managing things around here pretty well. I think if our, par- if our children came to us with this approach, we would have some words for them. I, th- I would. In, in, in our household, I would, uh, I would not take kindly to this approach. But we see the correction of the father when he told his son, like, look, this is not how you speak. The way he did it was so loving. What did he say? He said, you have access to everything. It's not because of what you did that you have access to everything in my household. It's because of who you are. You're my son. Take what you want. I I don't owe you anything because you can't earn anything because you already have and own everything. It's yours. You always know that you could stretch your hand. You wanted a young goat. You wanted the fatted calf. Stretch and take your hand. Stretch out your hand and take what you want and what you need and make merry with your friends. You're in your house. Christ says the same thing to us. Stretch your hand and take the fatted calf that's offered to you. It's here. Come. Take it. It's yours. Why? Because you're a child. Because you're my son. And this is your house. And you have access to everything that you need and want. I don't owe you. I've already given you more than what you earned and more than what you deserved and more than you could even ask. And then finally, we go to the middle part of the story, and maybe the part of the story that we focus on often, and we consider now the self-reflection of the son. And I consider that the son, the younger son, shows us the model that we ought to live by in many ways. So often we get tied up in the thinking of the older son. I have to do everything right to make my father happy so that I can earn what I deserve and so that I can be good in his eyes and so that I can be perfect and so that I gain the favor and the love of my father. And yes, I'm not saying that we ought not to strive. We ought to strive to be perfect. But so often in in the struggle to try to be perfect, we lose sight of the love of the father and we lose sight of the role of self-reflection. So we look at the younger son and I think we can all agree 
that at least for some stage in his life, he didn't do the will of his father, he didn't serve his father, he didn't obey all his commandments. He made mistakes. He made decisions. He paid the consequences of those decisions. If you ask him, do you regret your decision? I suspect he would say, if I were to do it over again, I might not have chosen this path. But what did he do that gained him I'll say favor in the eyes of his father, although his father always loved him and cared for him. It was that he he reflected on himself and he returned to himself. So oftentimes, we get so caught up in, in trying to be perfect or to trying to be good that we forget sometimes that our father is just asking us to be repentant. He knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows that we're going to exhibit shortcomings and that we're going to fall short of the mark and that we're going to stumble and i don't think when we go to stand in front of god that he's going to ask us why did you sin because he knows our human weakness but he may ask us why didn't you repent why didn't you turn from the way of sin the young son he came to himself he realized that he was not perfect he repented because of his repentance His father opened his arms and was looking for him. And he would have always been looking for him. But if the younger son didn't repent, if he didn't go back, he would not have enjoyed the embrace of his father. So we need to consider then our shortcomings and not fall into despair and say, I'm always falling short of the mark. Look at the the examples of the saints and say, there's so much better. How can I ever attain to this? But rather, we return to ourselves, go back to our, to our Father and say, Father, I have sinned before heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And we notice that before he even said this, the Father didn't let him get to this. He embraced him and he commanded the, 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 the servants to bring him the robe and the ring. This is what gains us as imperfect sons acceptance in front of God. It's our repentance. We pray in the conclusion of the Adam Theotokia in the midnight praises, for you do not desire the death of a sinner, but rather that he returns and that his soul may live. This is what God wants. This is what we as parents would want for our children. This is what God wants for us. St. Clement of Alexandria contemplates and says, people working and toiling by themselves for freedom from passion, achieve nothing. If we strive on our own to be perfect, we'll never get there. But if they show themselves to be very earnest about and longing for this, they attain it by the power of God. For God works with the willing souls. The first step in working with God is returning to ourselves, examining ourselves, repenting and going to Him confessing our sins, and acknowledging that we've fallen short. So to recap, we often rely on ourselves, but if we rely on ourselves, we'll fail every time. On the other extreme, oftentimes we feel we've earned our reward and that we deserve God's blessings. But he says, you don't deserve anything because of what you've done, but you have everything because you're my children. So what's up to us is that we examine ourselves, we look for our shortcomings, and we repent. And whenever we repent, the Lord will always accept the repentance that's offered.
in sincerity. And one final thought that I want to share with you is that I want us to consider then what the life of the prodigal son might have looked like after he was accepted back into his father's house. Something that we can contemplate about maybe the rest of the day and perhaps a part of the story that we don't think about. We get to the end of the story and we stop. But how did this man live his life after he repented and he returned to his father's house and he was accepted again in the bosom of his father? May God grant us all to offer a, a true repentance and glory be to our God forever. Amen. This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.